Five minutes after 6 a.m., Tuesday morning, J.M. in the a.m. Today is Tisha B'Av. Today is the day that we fast and mourn the destruction of the first and second holy temples in Jerusalem. Today we will feature on J.M. in the a.m. a keynote service that uh, I will um, be part of with Rabbi David Goldwasser at about 7.30 this morning here at J.M. in the a.m. as we try to inspire everybody and enhance your Tisha B'Av morning with the recitation of Kinos and a proper explanation. Uh, we will begin our Tisha B'Av service and presentation here at JM in the AM with Rabbi Beryl Wine, who has a, a two-part series entitled Tisha B'Av. Here it is at JM in the AM. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tisha B'Av for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar and the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu you know that there's a word in English that's called a uh, Jeremiah a Jeremiah is an elegy, a uh, sad, uh, doleful uh, type of prophecy well, uh, this is the chapter that they got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Novi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is... Uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know when to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people. And that the Novi may have had our uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrim has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. The Meforshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world. Because from grapes you can make something. Not only the grapes, you make wine which is the, has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. 
So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left. People in their own right. Even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's the figs in the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value, who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. The Heole Novel, their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. Uh, and we don't know for whom the bell tolls, you really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrun, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had and that could have been used for uh, that could have been used for positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. Almoanachmuyoshvim. So the people who live in the scattered cities, in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else which is what happened in the uh, Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe. 
without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidim Hashem. Benidim Hashem will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to Him. The doors are closed. Ninalu Sharet Filah. The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. For there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him, it's in the parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God, he broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And their bone shalom said, It's enough. I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a... Uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us. Because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God. And therefore, this tragedy has occurred to us. Uh, Meirosh is a, an interesting uh, phenomenon because when the person, according to the Meforshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, ShopRite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good and then it's too late right and here it's poisonous in fact it's corrupted it's uh, it cannot be uh, cannot be consumed so this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were they drank strange waters they served strange gods so while they were drinking it they thought everything was fine now the aftertaste is caught up to them now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace, but there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refuah 
time of healing, Vina Vasa, and instead of that, there's terror. Vasa is terror. The terror, the panic. That is that that is the uh, the psychological fright that we know as many times as bad, if not as worse than the actual physical danger. And so in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim, were there to soil for for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that. Uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv and the peal of the thunder people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going that's the terror that's the fright he said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud there's a bracha that you make on thunder, which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have uh, someone in Israel that I, uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to... Uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, it's interesting. So the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. And comes to, and they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's, uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And the fact that I hope in Mir Hashem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if you could, uh... so I got the facts back this morning. And he writes in the facts. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand, and he says, "Kishetavoli Mir Hashem Lirushalayim." When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes in your session. Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nachara Susov. This is the description of the enemy. From Don in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils. So you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in in horse and uh, cavalry warfare. So we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices 
the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. The South, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives, both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country. The land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, Ki hineni meshaleach bochem nechoshim tzifonim. I am sending amongst you snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tzifoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even if, that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly. But there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes, but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun, but there are poisonous And then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal, where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. And the person can't breathe, cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's, uh, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But uh, most, uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsifonim, they are vipers. Asher ein lohem lochash. So ein lohem lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom. Meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others... Learn They make no noise. They are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say There is no antidote to their bite because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. 
And if a person injects himself with the antidote, so he's able to survive. This is one that has no antidote. That has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshot, they mean the same. That you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi Ale Yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai Libi Davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, never that like to say, I told you so. Who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. Right? I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. And not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me. Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. Hine kol shavas basami. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. Meheretz marchakim. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time, uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall. And, uh, you know, to them it's, uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's no one amongst us. There was always, the, in our lifetime, a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. 
But it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted. Take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my uh, parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, this ma- in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp was printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like, the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that, too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav, everybody caught it, you know? Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imalko Einbo, the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsileyem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Of our kotzir kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved in the passage of time. Some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, 
named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17, after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Thomas and the 17th day of Thomas were the Romans. <laughs> he doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But, but his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. We have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Novi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means, I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. The Novi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people. To be able to have identity, to be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that was a little boy. My Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. It was 1943. And the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach, a paint now. And she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. money and they didn't paint the house he's not going to paint the house Jewish people are in trouble he's not going to paint the house but that's an idea you know, a, a feeling of identity I don't you know you can't criticize Jews but it's you know sometimes things are hard to look at it's hard to see you know how people don't feel. People don't are not sensitive to what's happening. They're only they're worried about uh, their petty things. The Novi says, "I am broken by the disaster of my people." Kodarti, 
I have become blackened. My face is black. Desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous Pesach here, Chav Beis. Hatzori ain't begilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Imrofe ain't shom. Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Maduralo also aruchas basami. Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? This is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. But this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, Baum in Gilead. There's no Baum in Gilead. Which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there's no Tylenol in the medicine chest. And the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? This mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. The only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. My eye to be the source of tears. If that would be I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as Khalale Basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears, I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn, there is some solace. At the inn, there is comfort. So the Novi says, I'll abide that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them. 
because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers. Meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage it is not to be seen as uh, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion that God so to speak is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter and that it's a story of love it's a story of a relationship it's a story of loyalty one to another so if a person is disloyal so he's unfaithful it's not victimless crime which is a great phrase invented in western society victimless crime right? it's not a crime but it is a crime because it's not just what the person does it's what that act does to the other person the destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity so the, the Novi says the relationship to God is like that they're unfaithful to the Rabbonishalolam they're a convention of traitors a convocation of traitors because again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. kashdom <laughs> sheker. The, the the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow and it is like a bow, and the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So vayadrichu. As Lashonam Kashtam Sheker means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long distance artillery. So that's Vayadrichu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods. Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but without faith. person without faith cannot be strong or rather the strength cannot be productive nothing good will come of it (laughs) 
This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say to him, you go, before you know you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one Aveira, right? There's 15 Aveiras that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. <laughs> a lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o elro'o yotzo. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The osi lo yodo num Hashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue what I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. The Ramban says his famous statement, Novel Bishu Satora. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious. And he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. Misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Yeah, right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbeinu Shalev. But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah, and all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel the Adoosi, the one that knows me. The one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from, there was a, in our community, there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died, he was in his 90s. And he came one evening, he was, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. 
and he was left alone and there were no relatives so somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative so they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden which is like itself a culture shock and they brought him from this home from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rodden so he said so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's past it. It's not nice. In the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, Vos hartaich e malochim shmeichlin in himmel. He said, why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosin, kid's an orphan, comes to say, well, I mean, what's your problem here? The Chofetz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The Malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbi Shalom have done? That's what he tried all of his life to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. So that's what the Novi says. We all see Lord You have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you know, you know, once you once you lost it on the radar screen, right? So then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good the good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, "I have good news and bad news." Good news, he says, "We're ten minutes ahead of schedule." Bad news is that we're lost. <laughs> That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not for, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. My wife is young, but I feel, you know... 
she hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. <laughs> now I'm all white. But I uh, I get, you know, with the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail, I don't even open it. Right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past that already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the Sahara, you know, I'd make $10 million, I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. I could do this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore. Can't bring me any good. Cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. Yaakov, he will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, the Esau's taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Esau felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Bears tales. Can't be trusted. We are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my... I, I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price, because the, it's just just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this, and he's going to give me this, and he's going to give me that. No, I walk out, I'm, I, I can, you know, I feel like like vomiting. That's your Haselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Dabeiru. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. Lindu Lishonam Daber Sheker. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely, that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes, yes, we call that a pathological liar. But the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the... Uh, in the United States, we call the you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you've got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print, in fading ink, on the second side of the page, 
to tell you that everything was on the front part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you want a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, so call them, you know, they got three seats for you, like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say $99 to Miami and you only, and in Little Prince you have six seats like that and every, the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the uh, the uh, brochures of the Yeshiva. I remember in uh, the Chicago Yeshiva one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the University of Agansa Mysa, so they had to they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it. So then we in our Yeshiva, can I know and there was like 330 boys in the basement. We had a big Yeshiva. 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember they Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. And Yeshiva can't say, you can say over 300. You want to say something can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of Limdu Lashonam Daber Sheker. Havei Nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. Oh, I guess. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, the, well, and they had cheated in the exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends till today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together, and you had to stay up nights and go find key. I'm what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way on so study the three hours, right? You get the A. 
wasn't such a higher test. So that's what the Novi says. Havenilu. You worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. Doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I, I think the uh, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're putting a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world. That's, uh, there's plenty of hard work, there's plenty of kishrin, there's plenty of genius in it. Misplaced, the Novi says. You have sunk, you have dwell in the midst of cheating. You have sunk so low that that's your way of life. And therefore everything you do is that way, the Novi says. The Mirma Meanu Hashem. So their cheating is that they refuse to know me. Because they are so they are so wild in their behavior, they're so perverse, they're so crooked, that they refuse to reckon with me. They refuse to know me. They refuse to realize that I'm not going to let them get away with it. The Novi here uh, really uh, minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says, that's what happened. That's the Hurban. If that's the Hurban, so okay, so then that's what's going to happen. I have, the Novi says, I have no easy, uh, I have no easy way out. I have no easy way to settle it with them. And therefore, uh, once this matter is expiated, though, then we'll come and talk to them again. But right now, I can't do anything. Right now, they're, Fate is sealed. The doom is upon them. All right. Next week we'll finish this uh, half hour message. The Navi says, "Me itnani b'midbar malon orchim." Me itnani means alavai. Would that God would place me in the desert. And I would be like an oasis. Malone Orphim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert, one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have. That it, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers. If I could do it all myself. Or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of. Uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent. They're a drag. They make things worse. So the Novi says, I'll avoid it. I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. 
I will forsake my people and I will go away from them all of them are immoral unfaithful that's the word that's the word for adulterous but it means not only adulterous in the physical sense it has many connotations here but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God the unfaithfulness to uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant, and it also was a statement that kulam menafim everybody. He doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, They are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate. Because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means... A gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their... Tongues, kashtam uh, sheker, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that they, that that's accepted. A little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in, of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. The and true people, true people, faithful people, Govruborets, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, are uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the uh, the uh, the poor class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions. It's not realistic. 
the uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people. People who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they ought, their heroes were clear to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here. Lola Amuna Govruvarts. Kimei Ro'a El Ro'a Yotso'u. From one evil, they stagger to the next evil. The imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil. The ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the uh, of the Navi's words that the Navi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who uh, who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person can be a novel Birshus HaTorah. A person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Ishmeru Hishameru Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the... Again, the psyche of the relationship is part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Each man, again, Yahaselu, he cheats. Yahaselu means. Uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely, 
They've trained themselves. Milu, And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times in the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long ago, a number of years ago that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it, if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. This took days of planning, risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study, so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what it, that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a, uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, in garbage, so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because of, they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a, uh, of a situation that becomes... That becomes your normalcy. A whole spate of uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia, or involved in crime generally, and they want to get away from it, and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there is no way to break the ties. And that's the, really the Greek tragedy of life is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed. And we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This... Uh, a strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people of their behavior uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musar and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people that God uh, 
is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people, Tzorfum is I'm going to refine them, I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word Tzoref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy, you have to burn off the uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's Tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire, Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people, thousands of years. It's a, a difficult exam. What else can I do, God says. I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says. In God's name, what else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me but we know that that is not true we know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones great damage can be done in life by words so the Novi says their tongue has become a lethal arrow an arrow that kills shochet, that shechts, that kills the slaughters. Mirmodiber. They speak only dishonest words. Shalom Esra'eu Yadaber. He speaks to his friend words of peace. Good words, nice words. Uvekirbo Yosim Orbo. And in his heart, he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be uh, in line with what he says. The rabbis say, the Rashi quotes it, that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So our rabbis say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here 
of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand an accounting for their behavior? A people, a nation such as this, Shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes? So again, the what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, He expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the, uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. And we do live to a higher standard. But God, in His measurement of us, in His demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people. al eso b'chivonehi. So the Novi, now the Novi... Uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yermio, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, Ani I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew what was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life who know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. We actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one because I am the one who saw it happen, who is the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping. And in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure, the meter connected meter, because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah so the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Valnaus midbor kino. 
And regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn. Because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it. So that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right. Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of uh, the destruction. So the poor Emir will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world. But that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Navi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard in the countryside the sounds of the cattle meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals, there were no birds, there was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds. You know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs. Just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a... Uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other. Gal Aid. Ma'on Tanim. It became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a uh, Tanim is a. Uh, we translate it as a jackal. It's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator 
but it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. There's Ora Yehuda Etein Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Mibli Yoshev, with no one there, no one that's present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous Sukim here in the Novi. I'm here to the conclusion of the Aftora are some of the most uh, well-known and famous and strongest psukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before, this Aftora is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'av. The Aftora is so strong, we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Aftora sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? Who knows what happened here? So we could say that today. We could say that regarding the events of our time. Who is the wise man that can tell us, that can explain the Holocaust to us, who can explain uh, the state of Israel, who can explain all of the struggles, all of the wars, all of the pain, all of the blood, all of the sacrifice? Who can explain it? Who is the wise man who understands? Vashir Diber Pi Hashem and who is the man to whom God has spoken in explanation? The Agido, and he's now going to tell us what happened here. Who is that person? So this is based, the Medrash bases it that neither the wise men nor the prophets of Israel could explain the enormity of the disaster that befell the Jewish people. It's literally the story of our time, too. All of the reasons uh, that are advanced by many uh, for the Holocaust and for everything else that happened to the Jewish people all fall hollow. They don't... It's hard for us to justify, no matter what our sins were, a punishment of that magnitude, of that enormity. A million and a half children under the age of 12, all of the unspeakable things that happened. How, how did it happen? So the Novi himself has no answer. Are more of the Oretz. Why was the land of Israel destroyed? Nitzisah Kamidbor. Why was it Burned, parched, like a desert. We blew over that it has no inhabitants, that no one lives there, no one visits there. Why did this happen? So the Gemara says no one could answer that. So God came and answered it. Well, God answers it in a way that's not understandable to us. To God, it's an answer to us. 
we find it hard to understand it. Vayomer Hashem, God said, Al ozvom es torosi asher nosati lifneim. Because they have forsaken the Torah that I placed before them. That's the root cause of all of these troubles. Because they no longer wanted to live a Torah life. They were no longer loyal to it. They did not hearken to my voice, to all of the prophets that I sent. And they did not want to go in the path of righteousness, in the road of the Torah. They did not want to follow its lifestyle, its value system. Instead, they wanted to go according to the wildness of their hearts. Whatever their heart wanted, they wanted to have. It's like uh, someone who is uncontrolled. He wants this, he wants that, he wants... He doesn't know what he wants. He just wants to be wild. And they went after the idols. That their forefathers had trained them already. The, this isn't just this generation but that this was part of their heritage, so to speak. So the Mephoshim say here a number of great ideas. Number one, that they went after the idols, not because they believed in the idols. They went after the idols because they wanted to go after what their hearts wanted. So they needed a philosophy that allowed them to be immoral. A great deal of... uh, of uh, the Western world today uh, follows in that. They want to be immoral. They want to do whatever they want. So therefore, they invent a philosophy that justifies it. They say it's unhealthy to be inhibited. Other such... uh, What drives uh, much of the... uh, psychological explanations of man and justifications of man in the 20th century is the fact that man does not want to be bound to any moral system. Man does not want to be disciplined. The Talmud tells us that this... uh, the Gemara in Gitten tells us that uh, the great Rav Yeshua, Rav Hananiah, came to Rome, to one of the great cities in the Roman Empire, uh, where he heard a Jewish child was imprisoned and he stood at the gate of the prison, he stood by the window and he said the first half here, of the Oretz, why was the land destroyed? And the child answered from inside the prison, because they forsook the Torah. So the Tana of Yeshua said, if there's such a child that he understands that, then I will redeem him no matter what the price is. He, uh, he uh, paid an enormous price to ransom him, to redeem him, and the child became a great Talmud Chochem. The great Rabbi Shmuel uh, was that child who was in prison. But again, the, the question that he asked is why? Which is the most difficult question to answer. of Doritz, why was the land destroyed? So people say, uh, well, you know, it was destroyed, it was political, they didn't have a strong enough army, it was, 
economically not viable, etc. All none of those excuses are true. The country is destroyed because of its lack of moral fiber, because of the fact that it did not follow the Torah. We find the same uh, reasoning in the Talmud always. The Talmud asks whenever they saw an older person, they said, How come you lived so long? So nowhere in the Talmud is the answer given that I exercised, or I took good care of myself, or I went to sleep early at night. The answer is always found in a moral thing. I did this good deed. All my life I devoted myself to this task. Because our rabbis always ask the question deeper than what looks on the surface. It's not enough just to exercise. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to exercise. But that's not, that, that's not the full answer. That doesn't say the reason. So here also... It doesn't say that the reason for the destruction of the Jewish state in the time of Yirmiyah and later in the time of the Second Temple was because of the fact that the empires were stronger than they were. And because this Jewish state had existed for hundreds of years, always were stronger empires against them. But because of the fact that they were morally bankrupt. In the end, uh, all the notes were called in. They were just wrong and eventually they paid the price therefore the Lord God of Israel says I'm going to this people will be fed the bitter herb which is lana it's an herb that is a uh, The Latin name for it is Adamesia, which I'm sure uh, does something for everybody. But it's a uh, it's a very bitter herb, so it's not poisonous, but it's very bitter. But Vishkisi may Rosh, I shall give them to drink waters of Rosh. Rosh is already a poisonous substance. The drink that they will drink is like hemlock. It will destroy them. Now that's the description of the exile. That's the description of the punishment that's brought upon the Jewish people. I shall scatter them among nations that neither they nor their fathers ever heard of them. The uh, scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world. So in our time, we begin to realize how far the Jewish people are scattered when we see the ingathering of the Jewish people, where Jews come from, all over the world. But places we never heard of, places that, you're, that no one ever knew of. And even in these places I shall have the sword pursue them until they shall be destroyed. So the Radak says here, destroyed means that the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile. Which is again a historical and demographic fact that we can, uh, we can attest to. That the majority of the Jewish people have not survived the exile.
not physically, or if we count it physically or spiritually. And the sword has pursued us wherever we have been. Then the frightening uh, comment, but the, the, the frightening comment is that he's standing 2,600 years ago and talking about today. J.M. in the A.M. It is Tisha B'Av morning here. And uh, we are going to uh, commence our Tisha B'Av uh, Kinnah service in just a moment. Today is Tisha B'Av, hence I will not uh, uh, greet Rabbi Goldwasser, but he in fact will be joining us in a moment as we start to uh, translate and uh, explain and enlighten everybody regarding the uh, Kinnah of the morning in just a moment. Uh, today is Tisha B'Av and the traditional restrictions of the ninth of Av are uh, in place. They include uh, not eating and drinking. We do not uh, eat or drink today. We do not wash our hands the way we normally do on a regular day. Those are just some of the restrictions that we have upon ourselves on this Tisha B'Av, on this ninth of Av. We traditionally will sit on a uh, lower chair or surface until about 1 o'clock uh, today, about the time of midday, halachically. And we will not put on our talis and tefillin for this morning's shachar service. That will be reserved for mincha later on today. We will go through some of the things that are happening on this Tisha B'Av 5773 in our community, including the mincha service that I like to speak about and many other things uh, later on in this show. Rabbi Goldwasser is with us, and we will begin our Kinnis service with Shavas Suru. I will read in the majority of the cases of uh, this morning's Kinnis. I will read the first part and last part of each Kinnah, and then turn to Rabbi Goldwasser for his words regarding that specific uh, passage. Shavas suru many shimuni of rice, Hiumaos, Hasimuni bed, Re, Havi rice, Akosa Mishkan, Mishos, Divi rice, Akosa, Vuvlogu, Giborai, Safkucha, Fumuadu, Evorai, Kisilaho, Abirai, Naflo, Denebetsud, Huya, Enichixal, Hazan Bembrechia, Ad Pile Gilgol, Havuya, Enim, Oleles, Bivanis, Nehuya, Asavanicha, my Kralivia, Binam al Ela Ani Vokia Kitam Chakta Bakes of Panecha Tashivla Hemgamok Az Chazos Panecha Tirdof La Salmon Yoatse Alt Funecha Titem Lahav Hev and Nozitse Pininecha Tigrola Shakram Kos Kamus Pifinecha Tavochora Samufanecha Tavot Sora Shakilanu Milochamos Bechema Nihalanu Adachalach v'chavor higlanu zakenu v'achur v'sulach v'kavalanu ram habed na amachakulanu zechor adunai meha yalanu. In this particular kin, in this passage, we read about how we were very deeply affected by the korban, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple. A lot of people would say, okay, we don't have the temple anymore, we don't have the base of Mikdush, but we still have a lot of things left in this world. We can 
continue on in life and just carry on. The Kina tells us, not so. Shavasuro, everything, came to a standstill. Time froze. It would never be again the same existence that we had during the Beis HaMikdosh until it will be rebuilt in the future. Chazal tell us that our sages remind us that even the people that were living back in the times of the destruction, they didn't quite get it immediately. They didn't realize what the ruination of the Beis HaMikdosh was going to be, mean for them. And therefore we learn in Gittin, it's one of the tractates of the Talmud, that tells us some of the history, very interesting, very horrifying history of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh, that there was a place called Tor Malka. It was a giant city. Half of the city were singing and dancing. Half of the city were mourning. The half that was singing and dancing they didn't realize what had gone on. They didn't see the signs. They didn't understand that there was a destruction happening right in their midst. So we read about the uncanny difference that people did understand and the idea that other people did not understand. In a certain way, we have that today, that there are those that say, the Besamikdos isn't here, my thoughts, my dreams have to be that Eretz Yisrael will be joined, everybody will be together once again. We'll all see the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. I can't wait for it. And then there are others that say, okay, but we're still doing pretty good in the exile. We still get the chance to do mitzvot. It's the idea of how much do we take it to heart. Now, one interesting part in the Kinnah, is where we talk about Shavasul, many, that one of the reasons that the Beis HaMikdush was destroyed was because of a blatant lack of a blatant disregard for the Shabbos itself, for the Holy Sabbath. We know that the Shabbos is the key point of our week. It's the center focus of our lives. It is also the main cell from which we derive our power of holiness. Once the Shabbos was destroyed, so we became very much weakened because of the lack of observance in those that blatantly disregarded the Shabbos. At the uh, end of the Kinnah, we read, Amy, my eyes, Huxel, my eyes still longs for that vision of the Navi of the Prophet Zechariah. We know what happened. When Zechariah says, in the future, that the elderly men and women will sit and the young people will come and they will be in Yerushalayim and each person is going to be rejoicing. So it says we wait for that. We know that no matter what we've gone through, no matter what the Holy Land and its battles has gone through, it doesn't matter because in the future, We'll all see the redemption of Zion, the redemption of Zion, and the ingathering of the exiles of all people all over. So the Kinnah lets us know right before the end that there is great hope that the prophecy was not yet fulfilled and that we will be able to see the ultimate uh, uh, rebuilding of the Beis Mikdash. Uh, just uh, one very interesting idea 
the Medrash tells us uh, at the end that Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked Nebuchadnezzar, saw the Levim, the Levim that were famous for singing in the base of Mikdash. They were in charge of the song. So, in that moment, he demanded that they serenade him and that they play their songs and their instruments when he was celebrating his feast. We're told that the Levim hung their instruments on the streets and they began to mutilate themselves, their fingers, to make it impossible for them to play. That's when we find the famous part in the Psalms and the Tillam. Ech no shir eshir Hashem. How can we sing the song of Hashem, Alad Mas Nechor, on strange land? How can we do it? They found it impossible. They wouldn't sing. And the interesting oddity is that the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, when the Jews were being marched into work, when they were being marched to their death, so the Nazis asked that the orchestra should play. And there is many uh, different individuals, there are people that have wrote an accounting of what the Nazis made the Jewish people doing, all with song, with violinists, with people that played piano, and even full orchestras. One would wonder how such a high medium of music could be brought to such a low, low purpose. However, it's that music that each of us remember as we continue on. We remember it as we sing our songs, and we look forward to the future when the Levine will be restored once again to their song and being in charge of the music in the third and final base of Mikdash, we know that we won't have to sing on any strange lands in the future that we'll be going home. We continue with uh, the uh, opening and uh, and closing passages of the Kinna, uh, commonly referred to as Kinna number 7. in this 
particular kina, echo, how did you rush Hashem in your anger, your fury, in order to go and wipe out those that are the faithful ones? Uh, it's interesting that Rabbi Loza HaKalir, which wrote most of the kinnis, most of those passages that we're going to read today, in fact, uh, Rabbi Loza HaKalir was a fascinating personality. There is a great, great amount of uh, controversy as to exactly when he did live and who he was. HaKalir is a name that was given to him because Kalirin, as it is stated in the Talmud, is really a balm or an ointment for the eyes that helps them to see better. Revelosa Kalir was an individual who had great depth. He was able to see into the situations that existed for Klal Yisrael, for the Jewish people, and he was able to bring it to light. And therefore, he is the one that basically on the day of Tishabos helps us to understand exactly what has gone on. We also understand that Hashem doesn't rush. How is it that we say that Hashem rushed here to pour out His wrath and His fury on the cloud? We learned that actually it was 40 years, the Talmud tells us, before the destruction of the Temple, that there are certain signs that we had gotten. We know that the Goral, that the lottery, didn't come up in the right hand of the coin Godel anymore. We know the right, uh, the particular uh, red thread that was tied would not go to turn white anymore. They used to use a string that would lead the Seirah Mishtalea, the scapegoat. When it turned white, it was a sign that Hashem had forgiven Klal Yisrael. This no longer turned white. The Nirmarovi, the special, special light, western light, that used to stay lit, throughout the day and throughout the night until the next day no longer stayed lit and finally the doors of the Hechel would open by themselves these were all indications that things were not operating as they should 40 years before the destruction of the temple they began happening it was a signal to us it was a warning sign from Hashem you have 40 years change your ways be different, try as much as you can, improve your ways, and then the temple would not have been destroyed. However, unfortunately, a lot of times we hear the alarm go off and we ignore it. There are things that happen in the world, frightful things, earthquakes, tornadoes, all kinds of things that come and say, everyone, the world, Jewish people, wake up. Be better. Treat your fellow man better. Care more about society. Worry more about mitzvahs than about learning. We have to take these signs because there's also a signal here for us. We also say in this particular akina, Zohar Hashem, remember Hashem what has happened to us. We ask Hashem to remember we used to be on a very high level. But today, our position is much lower. And because of that, we understand that Hashem may take a look at us with great compassion and say, look at our state. We are still, unfortunately, experience 
anti-Semitism. We're still unfortunately experiencing those that stand up against Israel. We still have the same old problems that they did years and years ago. We still are worried about those that hurl virulent anti-Semitism and all kinds of statement in the press. We understand that. Rock singer that makes light of the Holocaust. We understand that. So we ask Hashem, please, look at us. Look where we're at. Things didn't change. They may have gotten a little worse, God forbid. So save us. Take us out. At the end, I noticed a couple of days ago we say Roganti that uh, I complained, but now I raise my hands up to heaven. I want to pierce the heavens with my prayer. Why do we say we complain? If you remember back in the desert, the Yisrael complained. They said, remember, we used to have raw fish in Egypt. We might have been slaves, but we had their cucumbers and melons and great onions. And we complained many times, misarnanim, but it was considered to be a sin. We should know today, Roganti, maybe I complained. Maybe instead of thanking Hashem for the things that I do have, I complained to Hashem for the things that I don't have. We need to take stock and thank Hashem. Even a person, God forbid, is not in a great state right now. Thank Hashem for the future. Thank Hashem for all the good things that will happen. That is actually a skula or mystical charm to bring bracha into our life, to remember full well that good things can happen at, in one second. Like it says, Yeshua Hashem Karafayim, that the salvation of Hashem is as quick as the blink of an eye. We remember this, and we ask Hashem, please, we're going to try as much as we can to stop our complaining. We realize the correct situation in our own lives and why things do happen when they do. We want to thank Hashem. We want to praise Hashem for all for us, for every single thing that we have in this world. I don't want to talk about the radio program, but I personally do thank Hashem that there is a program that we can join into like on a day of Tisha B'Av, a day that everybody could use a little bit of chizuk. And I say for the decades and decades and the future decades of the broadcast, it's a bracha. I don't know if I remember to thank Hashem on a daily basis that we can all tune in and act as a tzibur together. And for the many other things that we enjoy, many other things and blessings that Hashem gave to us. But yet we read in the Kinnah that that very well may have been one of the reasons of the Chorban, one of the reasons of the destruction. We forgot to praise, but we did remember to complain. You are tuned to WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, our Kinnis service for a Tisha B'Av morning at JM and the AM, and no matter where you are around the world, I'm sure by Goldwasser's Words are inspiring you and enhancing your Tisha B'Av day. Uh, we now continue with uh, what is commonly referred to as Kinnah 11, the uh, opening and closing passages. 
Vayikonein Yirmiyo al Yoshio Eicha Eli Konenu Meilav Ben Shmona Shana Heichel Idrosh Meilohav Ben Eicham BeAvram Chanu Alav Lo Huzkarlo Sigoi Mifalav Dam Bechol Malchai Yisrael Asher Kamu Ligdor Lo Kam Kamo Miemos Avigdor Davak Bochet Leitzanei Hador Asher Kamo Achar Hadelas Listor Ochlim Zera Shichor Kisma Atov pichamo mishchor, vayigdalavon veishiv yamin achor, vodlo shalach yado min achor. Kalim hitu acharav ezon motzafihu, v'ad mitzui nefesh masav hefihu, ruach svosav hivtzami pihu, tzadichu adunai kimori sifihu, sisi nof kikine zam. Veshalem shonam bavon bitzam, tam kesem atov amzu b'fasham, vayikonein alav. Kol Echa Yuam Tom Mikre Echad Kos Megido Lishtos B'moet Nasach Mitok Ego Hakel Esos Talav Esrim Ushtayim Meharos Shosos Kisav Tulo Echa Besrim Ushtayim Osios Osos Kinos Lubotam Mecholi Eis Kishachachni Mecholi Zamosi Kiload Yahili Roshati Vinosati Venuta Shaholi We just concluded the reading of Kina eleven, which is entitled Vayakone Yermio Ayoshio, and now we turn to Rabbi Goldwasser for the explanation. In this kina, we read about Yoshio. He was the uh, grandson of Menashe Melech. If you remember that Menashe Melech was the one that put uh, idols all over. Yoshio was a person that did great things. He started to clean up all of the Avodazara. He did a, a, the idol worship uh, of the nation. He did a tremendous amount of leading Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, in the Torah way. It happened to be that the great leader had himself a terrible downfall because when Paro wanted to pass through the land, just to pass through, Yoshio did not want to. He said, we cannot let such a person pass through this land. He went to Yermio, the prophet, and the prophet said, let him pass through. They're not going to do anything. They're just going to pass through the land. Yoshio was a zealot for Hashem, and he didn't listen to Yermio. That ultimately led to his downfall. But Yoshio was indeed somebody who was very great. We learn that he was one of the outstanding kings of B'nai Yisrael. We learned in Divrei Hayamim, in the Chronicles, that he was crowned as an eight-year-old boy and was already a Talmud Chacham, a great scholar. Why is it that Yermio chose to write a special lamentation, a kina, an elegy, over Yeshio? The reason is, is because Yoshio, he was self-made. He did it on his own. 
Nobody showed him the way. At eight years old, a young boy, he began to be Mavakesh Hashem. He sought out Hashem by himself. We have today great rabbis. We have today great women, Noshim Tzidkonios, that if you'll ask, who was it that showed you the way? They will tell you, I almost found it by myself. There is that which stirs in the heart and the soul of every Jew that helps an individual to come close to Torah. Yoshua was one of those that really was self-made. The elegy here is saying that such a person who wasn't even shown but understood on his own and grew to such greatness and was able to be a leader of Klal Yisrael, what a special kina we have to talk about. He deserves a special hesped, a eulogy. Lokom kemohu mimosa vigdor. We learn that there was nobody who stood up like him from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, interesting, was also known as Avigdor. Avigdor. He had many names. Avigdor means that he mended Gidor, or the breaches, or the fences of Klal Yisrael that were breached. So too, Yoshiyahu spent his life mending the breaches. He was Avigidor. He was the one that mended the breaches. He took out Avodazara. He took out idol worship. He brought people closer to Hashem. So therefore we understand that Yoshiyahu himself deserves a very special hesped, a special elegy of his own. We also learn that the Besamikdash itself, itself was a place of great kapara. It was a place of great atonement. Because of that, we read the Tehil, in the Tehillim, Mizmah Asaf, a song for Asaf, Elohim Bo'u that the nations have breached the stores, have come into the base of Mikdosh. Timu, they defiled. Esechal Kodshecha, your holy, your chamber. And it's interesting that we understand here that Yoshio tried as much as he could to raise the level, but still we know that the great base of Mikdosh was eventually defiled and then destroyed, regardless of what Yoshua tried to do. And when it was destroyed, we know that there was a great piece of Klal Yisrael that was destroyed with it. Actually, the Beis HaMikdash served as a kapara as an atonement for all of our sins. Hashem said that if B'nai Yisrael deserve to be punished, if we deserve retribution, so Hashem says, I want the Jewish people to live I want them to be well. I will take out my anger on the stones. I will take out the anger on the wood. And the base of Mikdash was then destroyed. So it was a kapara for us. We have to realize the reason that we're living now and we celebrate good things and we have simchas and we all join together. It's only because of one reason. The base of Mikdash took the fall for us. It was the kapara. If it wouldn't have happened, Klal Yisrael would have not been here. So we have to be very careful today. Very careful. There's no Beis HaMikdash to destroy. But we also have to understand what its absence is. 
we got to understand what it did for us. It atoned for our sins. The Dubno Magid says an unbelievable idea. He says that there was a mother, a woman, that was not Zoha to give birth. She didn't have a child. Many years she was married. All of a sudden, she falls pregnant. She's ready to have the child, and the doctor comes into her with the grim news that they're going to have to give up the child. The child can't live because the mother's life will be at stake. The mother began to scream. She said, Doctor, I cannot possibly go on and know that my child doesn't. Please save the child. I don't care what happens to me. And so the doctor listened to the mother's wishes and the child was saved, the child lived, and the mother passed on. Years later, on the day of the yard site, the anniversary of the passing of the mother, they took the son out to the cemetery, to the Beisachayim, on the day of the yard site. And there, while the other people that were gathered were solemn and serious and the mood reflected what had happened, they saw that the son himself, he was like choking around. He wasn't in a serious mood. He was talking and even offered a light comment. All of a sudden, one of the men came over to him and said, My son, don't you realize what happened here? Your mother was faced with a decision. She gave up her life so that you could live. Don't you know what she did for you? The son began to realize what happened. And when the time for the Kaddish came along, tears were rolling down his face. So to Antishapov, we all come together. Sometimes a person will maybe be a little bit lighthearted. Maybe just talking about stuff in the world. Maybe even throw a joke. But if we only realize what the Besamitish did for us, it gave its life so that you and I could live, that you and I could enjoy the blessings in this world, we would say a cottage for the Besamitish. Tears would roll down from our cheeks. We would realize what it gave up for us. We continue with uh, Kinna 13. I will read the opening and closing passages. Eiko Omer Kores Loav Vefetzach Bivris Benam Sarim Ko Yihielonetzach Vehinato Bulu Atzomai Beretzach Lama Elohim Zonachto Lonetzach Eiko Gosh Kiselo Lalaratzo Secho Melchadko Pitube Edo Secho Vehin Ato Dokru Befelach Rayo Secho Yeshan Abcho Bitson Marisecho Eiko Shivashovros Eretz Kosa Seshishish Yamim Lapil Chomolo Oretz Vehin Ato Shiorim Tov Uvo Oretz Sorfu Moade El Boretz Ekochuos Asomeo Tsar Beho Amara Shalachuzin Notsar Venato Tubuhu Frochai Bachatsar Admosai Elohim Yuchoref Tsar 
In this particular kinah, we say a ko, a, like where is it? Where, what, what happened over here? Ko is the same as the two letters that we read in the priestly blessing or the Bechas Kohanim. Ko Savarcho, please bless. Ko is a power. Ko, we read about several times within the Kinnah. We read about it several times within the Torah as well. Like when it says, Avram Avinu, Abraham was taking Yitzchak, Isaac, to the sacrificing. And there he said, Va'aniva nar melchot ko. I, together with the young man, will go at ko. We'll go to that particular place. We also learn that Moshe Rabbeinu, he looked ko v'cho. He looked this way and that way. We learn, like we've just said, by the Berchus Kohanim, by the priestly blessing, ko suborcho. Ko is used whenever there's a great power. Whenever there's a show of strength, like the power of blessing, we use the word ko. So here we ask Hashem, what happened to the ko? What happened to that power that used to protect us? Hashem, we were invincible. Hashem, we didn't worry about anything. We were a little army. We were able to defeat all of the foreign armies in the times of the Maccabees. We were just a, a nation in Persia when we stood up on Purim. When we were in Egypt and they came after us and there was such weaponry and they had built up such artillery and the mighty Egyptian army of old couldn't defeat us. Echo, what happened? What, what's going on? So there we learn that Ko is also something else. It's Mesiris Nefesh. It is the self-sacrifice that we, that B'nai Yisrael, have for Hashem and for the mitzvahs, for the commandments in the Torah. We realize that in Golos, in this exile, we may not have been on the highest ethical level or the highest moral level that we are supposed to be on. And it's interesting because the Chachomim would often say, it's not that you have to only worry about when you are certainly right that you get your money or it belongs to you, ownership, or when you're certainly right about a particular a business uh, a possible controversy that came out, whether it belongs to you or belongs to them. But even if there's a doubt, if there's a doubt, and it's a matter of ethics, give it up. Let the other guy have it. Don't assume that you're always right. Here, we learn Mesiris Nefesh is also for the Torah. One time, one of the greats mixed up money. He had his own money, and he had money that belonged to the poor. But he wasn't sure how much it was. But he knew for certain that a portion of the money was his. He put all to the even about. So we learn over here that there are many different types that we could exhibit our selfless dedication, our self-sacrifice, and we ask Hashem, please help us. Help us get back that self-sacrifice that we have. That which we see in Klal Yisrael, and we see it all over. We see from the great Rebbeim, the great Rebetzins that give for us in Klal Yisrael, we see for 
the great leaders in the cloud that they give up their nights and their days for us. We see for the people that protect us, protect our land here in the United States, all of the members of the various teams, and we can mention many that are Mosa Nefesh in Eretz Yisrael, the Chayalim, the soldiers, the Ondim, Al Mishmar they don't stop, and that they go time after time, and they put their life on the line for Klal Yisrael. We realize that there's Mesiris Nefesh, and we all need to continue in that way, and we all need to have the Mesiris Nefesh, whether it is for celebrating Tisha B'Av in the proper way. Yes, I can go home a little bit early. I can stop the kinnis. I have a beautiful air-conditioned bedroom, and I can sleep. Or I can say, Hashem, i got to self-sacrifice a little bit. I'm going to say an extra few minutes. I'm going to cry a little bit for the base of Mikdash. I'm going to give up a little bit of my day. And I'm going to say that I do realize that there is something major missing in this world. That is what this kinah talks about. It is the coast of Oracle. It's the way to bring, bring blessing down in the Klal Yisrael. It's a fascinating Medrash. The Medrash says, you think the Jewish people are the smartest? Uh, they're smart people, no question, no question about it. Look in the arts, look in music, look in science, look in the entire world. And there are many, look in sports, there are many great, great people that have, happen to be Jewish that participated. But Hashem said that's not the reason. You think that they're the strongest? No, it's not the reason. And then Medrash goes through all the reasons that we may think that B'nai Israel is so great and says, no, it's not the reason. The reason is, is because Hashem says, I know that in the future, B'nai Israel, the Jewish people, will sacrifice for me. They will give up of themselves. They will sacrifice. The mother will give up for the child. The father will give up for the child. The Rebbe will give up for the student. The Rebbe will give over her life for the cloud. The soldier will stand there on the heights in Eretz Yisrael. And he will protect whether it's Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur or Purim or Sukhas Torah. He's there and she's there. And they're worried about the rest of the cloud. In the schus, in the merit of that Mesiris Nefesh, of that self-sacrifice, we can get back the Kois of Arachu, the power. And the interesting thing is when it says that the Kohanim, that the priest bless us, that is the only blessing that is not dependent on my goodness. It's not dependent on how well I'm observing. It is straight from Shemaim, straight from heaven. That is the greatness of the Kos of Arachu. We ask that the full power when we're going to be blessed and the next time of course is going to be on the Yom Noroim the High Holy Days by the Kohanim and when the Levim are going to do their work we ask Hashem that the blessing should come to all of Klausel to every individual no matter what we're missing we should all be blessed with simchas and happy occasions and good health and happiness and parnasa and a lot a lot of good livelihood and sustenance refuse everything that we need everything, everything and we also ask that the Kohanim and the Levim 
that they should be restored to their duties in the Beis Hamikdash, in Hera quickly. We continue with Kinnah 17, the uh, opening and uh, closing passages. and this kina, we read about some very, very horrifying things that have uh, transpired in history. This, of course, is where we talk about that the mothers themselves actually consumed their children. It's quite impossible for us to think about it, although we do know that in even in recent history, people were so distraught and starving that they had resorted to various forms of cannibalism. Now, it's uh, very interesting that here it says that the fathers uh, would actually, and the mothers, would actually consume their children. The message tells us that when the Muhammad, the war, was at its worst point, so there's a group of people that went out, they wanted to find a body, someone that had passed on that they could use for food. One of the people that were going out, they saw their own father had died. Lower language should never happen. And they buried the father in a shallow grave and they marked it off so that nobody would use it. They came back, they couldn't find anything. And the people were starving. Another group went out. And they came back and they did find the body. And in fact, they all partook. One of the individuals sitting around said, by the way, where did you find this body? So the guy said, well, you know, there was a shallow grave that was dug and we knew it was someone that had recently passed on and we took him. The man began to scream and cry. That was his father. And he realized that he was participating in partaking of his very own father. We don't realize that there was a midah connected midah. We say one turn for another. Nothing happens by just chance. In Mikra Ba'ama, there's no happenstance. What happened was, Zechariah, a novi, he was a Rebbe. He was like a father. He was Kohen the Navi. When did they kill him? They killed him on the day of Yom Kippur. When he was trying to give Musar, he was trying to give ethical reproach to Claudius Yisrael, to the Jewish people for what they had done. They killed him on the spot. 
neither connected neither. They killed their father. Since they had killed the father, now the father himself is as if, if the son had partook of the father's flesh. Now we see it in the flesh later when the flesh of the father was once again consumed by the son. Things had gone out of whack. It was similar in certain ways to the Nazi Holocaust. What Claudius went through and some of the other nations, there was so much pain. Psychologists will try to grapple for years to come with what really happened. How did a so-called civilized nation turn barbaric, animalistic, the lowest brain stem, primal behavior? How is it possible? One could only say that if a human being is devoid of spirituality, if a human being has no higher calling in life, does not recognize that there is a God in the world, then the truth is they could resort themselves to the worst barbaric behavior. What they did was no better than in the times of the destruction of the Besamikdash. And therefore we realize the importance that it is. And it's not just the Nazis. It's all of those that resort to any type of torture or killing. No matter what they say that they're doing. Wasn't it during the time of the Inquisition that the Inquisitors were there and the Jews were being burned and all types of terrible atrocities committed against them. And the Inquisitors would be there and they would be crying and they would be doing it for the sake of so-called religion. Anytime when these things are committed, we realize that it's the furthest thing away from religion. It's people that are barbaric, people that are animals, people that have completely severed their relationship with the one above. Because if they did have any relationship, they would realize that we are all children of God, no matter who, no matter what, no matter where. And in this kinna, it just brings to light that whenever there was in the past a homicide bomber, a suicide bomber, when something like the Boston Marathon took place when something took place in Sandy Point. All of those animalistic acts, heinous acts, we realize that there are people that are devoid of God. And then anything can happen. We ask Hashem Isparach in the Kinnah. Hashem, remember us. We let out such a cry. That cry is one of the worst cries that we could ever let out. It's from the deepest of the depths. It's not just weeping. It's a scream from within. It's a scream that we hope will pierce the heavens and things will change in this world. Peace will reign and that we will move towards the final advent of Mashiach coming and the base of Mikdash being rebuilt. We continue with uh, Cedars of Lebanon, the opening and closing passages of Kinnah number 21. 
Arzei halavonon adirei haTorah balatri sin b'mishnah v'gemara giborei choach hamalei b'tahara damam nishbach v'nashesa givura hinam kedoshe harugim alchus hasara yal ela ani vochia ve'ini nigra zos b'zichri ezak b'mara chemdas Israel kliakodesh nezer v'tara tahore lev kedoshim meisu b'misach hamura. Yadu Goral, Mirishon, Lacherev, Rura. Kinefol Goral, Araban, Shimon, Poshat, Tzavaro. Uvacha, Kenigzira, Gezira. Tzadik, Rabbi Elazar, Ben Shemwa, Bachronon, Herag, Madkira. Yom, Erev, Shabbos, Hayazman, Kiddush, Vayikadesh, Vayikra. Cherev, Shalfu, Allah, Lohi, Nichu, Bachayim, Legamra. Yatzad Nishmasa, Bavara Elohim, Yotzer, Vitzar Tzura, Kahena Vichahena, Hosifu, Bnei Avla, Lanos, Bigara, Biskila, Srefa, Hereg, Vichedeg, Miuchal, Shara, Noseresh, Mena, Yochlu, Arayos, Sepizura, Chazet, Nufa, Vishoka, Chuma, Torfu, Arieva, Hakfira, Yeti, Vadunoi, Velo, Yosif, Odli, Asra, Amed, Spirit, Kayim, Koshlos, Chelek, Yaakov, Umoshia, Beis, Tzara, Tzedek im loch melech Yomar shalomu yimei evlech Liyoro nisa v'neilech In this particular kina we, we read of the Arzeh HaVanan the cedars of Lebanon it is one of the most moving passages that we read the day of Tishabov. Of course, we include the Asura Haruge Malchus, the ten martyrs that we read about on Yom Kippur as well during the Musaf service. Now, it's interesting that both Tishabov and Yom Kippur are the times that have been chosen during the year for us to read about the holy martyrs. There are a few things that we gain from it. One, we realize the power of self-sacrifice in the level that the holy martyrs were on. Number two, we read how to deal with times of challenge and adversity by the actions of the martyrs themselves. No matter what had happened, they continued to bless Hashem. No matter what went on, they accepted and they were continuing on in life until the very last moment, realizing that it is all a part of the master plan. It also is a schutz. We realize that because they gave up their lives, they gave over to us a tremendous shield, what we would call something that will protect us until the end of time. And it's also interesting that the ko of Aniva Naranelchad ko has been pointed out. The great Skalina Rebbe, a blessed memory, said, Aniva Naranelchad ko, when Avraham, Abraham said, I and the child will go ad ko, it meant that the self-sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac will continue until ko, the 25th. Hey is a numerical equivalent of 25. What happened on the 25th? 
the 25th of Kislev, with the great mysterious Nefesh and the self-sacrifice of the Maccabees. So what happened was, Avram said, our self-sacrifice will continue until the 25th of Kislev. From then on, it will be the self-sacrifice of the Maccabees. And so too today, we realize that because of the great Sadiqim, these great people that came before us, how they self-sacrificed and gave up, gives us a great example, a Dugmas Chaim, a real living example of how you and I should comport ourselves in this exile. We also understand that by the ten martyrs, we include all of those that have passed on, perhaps those that have passed on this year. We realize that it is a time that we know that there are many good things that happen in this world because there are many souls that pray for us in Shemaim, in Gan Eden, whether it could be one's grandfather, great-grandfather, or God forbid, father, mother, or whether it's one of the tzaddikim. A lot of the things that happen in our own life may not be because of us, but rather because we are protected by others' merits. We remember, of course, this year, the passing of Revitin Kanievsky, a great, great Sadekis that lived in our generation, that was out of our generation, that could have belonged to the generation of the Chovetz Chaim, that could have belonged to the generation before then. She was a woman that people came from all over. Who didn't receive inspiration from her? Who didn't get a smile? Who didn't learn how to bake challah from her, get a bracha, or some valuable advice for their entire life? Who didn't get set on the straight path from her? What an unbelievable tzaddikus that we had in our midst. It's the kind of thing that you read about in the books. There were books that have been printed about her already. But we begin to understand the Isaiah Havonon we have in our generation also. We've got to guard them. We've got to be very careful with the honor of the Chachomim, of the great people. We have to make sure that we support them and that we protect them. After the end of the Kinnah, we realize that as the time goes on, the Isaiah Havonon, they're message is timeless we remember them and we say on these days that we will continue to cry we miss them and we realize that they were Nerag al Hashem and that's part of the reason they were they gave up their life to sanctify God's name and that's part of the reason why we cry on Tisha B'av. al Ela is also when we say over these Anibochia do I weep? That means because of the base of Mikdash and because of the great Sadiqim that have passed on as well. We say that when a great individual has passed on, it's Kisrefa's base of Okeno. It is as though the base of Mikdash was destroyed because they gave over so much to us. May all of the great people, may all of the humble people that have passed on and that we remember, we remember maybe Yisker, maybe we remember them today, that 
Pigla Lobos Toshiabonim, for the sake of the parents, for the sake of the grandfathers, the great grandfathers, the great great grandfathers, Toshiabonim, that the children will be saved, the Sadiqa'ula Libnevenehem, and that redemption should come to the children's children. We chant the opening and closing passages of Kinna number 31 and emphasize its uh, final hopeful message. Eish tukad bekiribi bahalosi alibi b'tseisi mi mitzrayim ekini moira l'man azkira b'tseisi mi rushalayim ahaz yashir Moshe shir lo yinoshe b'tseisi mi mitzrayim vayikone niyir miyav enahanehi niyav b'tseisi mi rushalayim vehisi hiskonan rushachan heonan b'tseisi mi mitzrayim vachamas el shachna alai kanenah Betzeisim Yerushalayim, Galayam Ramu, Vachachacham Akamu, Betzeisim Yitzrayim, Zdunim Shatafu, Valroshitafu, Betzeisim Yerushalayim, Kedusha Nevua, Chvoradonai Nira, Betzeisim Yitzrayim, Nigalo Mora of Ruachatuma, Betzeisim Yerushalayim, Reen of Yeshua, Vachatzotros Hatrua, Betzeisim Yitzrayim, Zakas Olov, and Akas Cholov, Betzeisim. Yerushalayim, one of the high points that we all look forward to every year is the singing of this particular kina. It's almost as if we're looking for some type of a boost, some encouragement on this sad day of Tisha B'Av. And by singing this, all of us together are able to give a little bit of encouragement to each other. There is a dual nature of Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is a sad day, but it's also a moed. It's considered to be a festival. It's a day in which we don't wear tefillin. It's a day in which we leave out Lam one of the tefillin, a psalm that's not especially happy. So we see that there are various aspects to the nature of the day of Tisha B'Av. And in fact, this, this particular passage reflects that idea that we have both the sadness and also we look towards the future there's a drop of optimism because we know that it says in the Tillam and the Psalms Hazarim Bedima those that sow with tears they will reap with joy and although there were a lot of tears we do look forward to the time when we'll reap the joy to a time of great happiness when we'll all celebrate together on a level of all of Kaisel joining in together. Uh, it's also interesting that in 1492, when the Jews were expelled from Spain, so the Spanish Chachomim allowed, it happened to be that it was on Tish above itself that the expulsion happened. And the Chachomim allowed the musicians to play, the Sefer Todah tells us, in order to give chizuk, encouragement to the people, and to thank Hashem, 
that they would have the power and the courage to stand up against the forced conversions. It teaches us that we don't really cry over an exile from any of the lands. We were in many lands, and we were expelled. We could list them, many lands, where the Jewish people were thrown out. We were possibly invalidated. We don't cry over that. There's only one land that we cry over, and that land is Eretz Yisrael. And we realize that on the day of Tisha B'Av, the reason that we're crying is because we do not have the base of Mikdash. We don't have Eretz Yisrael in its full glory. Also, uh, interesting halacha uh, law is that a person should be careful only when they say goodbye to their friend that they should say over a Devar Halacha or Torah thought. We are cautioned in this form not to cry when we depart from a friend, that there is something that is not good about that. It could very possibly be that the same idea is over here, that in leaving the various places, we don't cry. We could be sad, we could be upset, but it's only Eretz Yisrael that we're allowed to cry over. When we understand the fact that we ask Hashem, B'nai V'esvoh rebuild the Beis HaMikdosh, we understand that it could happen any day, any moment now. The world is so crazy today, it's quite possible Mashiach could come today. In fact, we learned that Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. So the Kina gives us a little bit of encouragement even though today we are seeped in mourning, we do keep the eye towards the future. We have that slight little glimmer of hope, knowing that any day now we'll all be joined together in Yerushalayim. The Kinnah service traditionally concludes with the chanting of Kinnah 45. Elitzion viareha, Kemoisha vitzireha, Vachivasuloha gura sak, Alba al niureha, Haleramona sher nutash, Vashma hastona doreha, Yalbias mecharfeel, Vasoch migdash hadoreha, Elitzion viareha, Kemoisha vitzireha, Vachivasuloha gura sak, Al baal niureha, alegalus mesharis ayel, anime shears and moreha, the alda mama sher shupach, mome meya oreha, elitzion viareha, kamahoisha bitsihireha, vichivisulacha gura sak, al baal niureha, alekolos mechorfeha, viehis rabu figoreha, viarigashas migadefeha, Soch mishkan chatzereho, elitzion viyoreho. Kemahu isha vetzireho, vechivesulach agura sak, al bal niureho. Alei shimecho asher chulal, befi komei metzireho. Yal tachan yetzav vechulok, kishovu shma moreho. Elitzion viyoreho, kemahu isha vetzireho. Vechivesulach agura sak, al bal Rabbi Goldwasser and I, for uh, obvious reasons of the day, do not engage in conversation during this Kino service. But before I turn to him for his final message of 
Tishabov 5773, I just wanted to offer a a wish and a prayer that we should, as this generation continues to realize how close we are to the complete rebuilding of Jerusalem and the Holy Temple, please God. I, uh, I wish and hope that soon we will both be able to together look back and talk of the days when we had to say, Kinnis, uh, may we be engulfed in joy and celebration on those days, as we recall having to lament on the 9th of Av, Rabbi Goldwasser. In the Kina Elitzion, if it will, to Zion, we remember the, perhaps, during one of the most emotional of all of the Kinos, the time when we all stand and quite a few tears are usually in the room. People are crying. We realize that Things have greatly changed. And when we are in exile, it's as though a woman cries out who is suffering at the time when she's about to give birth and she experiences the pains of labor. We realize that the pain is so great, almost too great to bear. During Elitzion, we say that we realize that all of Klai Yisrael with everything that we have gone through, people suffering, things that have been difficult for us as a nation to understand and to grapple with. We know that soon the ultimate simcha will happen, that the birth will take place, that it will be a new era in Klal Yisrael. As one of the most important parts of any prayer is always the chasimah, or the ending. What will take place at the conclusion? And you'll see this in many different of the prayers that we say. And so too here, as Nachum so beautifully chanted, For your name which was profaned, by the mouth of those that arose to torment her. Chilol Hashem, Aveshimcha, Asher Chulal, same words as Chilol Hashem, desecration of Hashem's name. One of the worst sins that could be committed is Chilol Hashem, is the profanation and desecration of Hashem. I think that wraps up the whole Tishabov, in which Hashem begs all of us do everything that we can to be Mekadesh Hashem, to spread the glory of Hashem, to make a positive impression, to make sure that those that view us from the inside and from the out realize that we are a nation that ascribes to a higher level of living, to a higher law, to a higher moral and ethical code, that we are a nation that constantly strives to go higher and higher. Asher Chulal, we have to remember it throughout the year, that it is our job to be Mekadeh Shem Hashem, constantly to create a glory and to create a positive impression for the Jewish people and for the world at large. 
This is our job, especially here in the Golos. We ask Hashem to help us towards that goal. We realize that many things are not going on here in Golos. And it's interesting that we stand for this kinna. Usually you'd say the right comportment is sit down, lie down on the floor, cry, sit. Why is it that we stand up? It is perhaps the reason that we do stand up. It's because we realize that at this point the importance is something that we've got to take to heart, that we've got to know that this prayer, perhaps like the Shmonesre, it's something that requires for us to stand up and to take note of. As we come to the conclusion of the Kinnis on Tishabos, we realize that things are not the same anymore. We realize that we do have to take note that we want to change. We're going to go on to Shabbos Nachmu, please God, and we'll go on to a lot of happy things. But we want to take the message of Tishabos together with us. There was a Jew, David Klein, he was in the concentration camps for four years, the years of the Holocaust. When he escaped, finally at the end, Hashem let him survive. He came back. He went to Budapest. It was Shabbos. And he found himself in the afternoon walking towards the synagogue. And he was carrying something. He didn't realize a young boy inside the synagogue said, Today's the Sabbath. And look, you're carrying something in. He said, I had to be reminded after all that happened. My mind was in such confusion, I didn't realize. And then he went and he sat on the floor. So everybody showed him this seat, there's an open seat. However, he said that during the years of the Holocaust, he never had a chair. He never had a seat. He never had that comfort. He didn't realize that you sit on a chair anymore. He didn't realize that you take a place of comfort. It was difficult for him to actually go and to sit on a chair. I think in our goals, we became very comfortable sitting on the chair. We became comfortable in all different places where we could sit down and enjoy and relax and kick back. Tishabov teaches us, don't get so used to it. Be like David Klein. He knew that there are times you got to sit on the floor. He knew that there are times that you have to realize what the exile is all about. So we stand up and we take note in Elitzion and we ask Hashem, perhaps symbolically, let us rise up as a nation. Let us be together once more. Let us go together to Yerushalayim. Let us all serve Hashem together. Let us be reinstated to our former glory in the time when Hashem Yisbarach will say, Yisrael, you are the nation, Asher Bucha Espa'er, and by you I will be glorified. By you, my name will continue to grow and to grow and to be magnified throughout the world. We should all come to those days and each and every family in Klal Yisrael should celebrate a lot, a lot of simchas and have all the things that we all want and all need. And the world at large should also move closer towards Hashem, move closer towards God. 
there shall be an everlasting peace in the world, like the Navi says, when the nations are no longer going to learn the art of war. May we see those days, the coming of Mashiach and also the building of the Beis Hamikdash, speedily, speedily in our days. And may we only hear of good news and of Simchas in the future. On behalf of our international audience, I thank Rabbi Goldwasser for his amazing words and for leading us through an incredible presentation of, of uh, Kenneth for this year. L'shana habab Yerushalayim habnuyah. L'shana habab Yerushalayim hashlema. J.M. in the A.M. on this Tish above morning with some reminders for uh, our audience. Uh, our stream will be, and this is a, a great, great idea for you, our wonderful listeners. Keep our stream on all day because we will be tuned into, on our stream, we will be tuned into the presentations of Rabbi Weil and Rabbi Weinrib from the OU as the OU in just a few minutes, and you can go to OU.org for the video, as the OU in just a few minutes is going to be presenting an amazing uh, Tisha B'Av program, really continuing along the lines of what we began this morning, of explaining and telling and inspiring and appreciating. And uh, that will be happening all through the day. Um, at 7.15 tonight, we will have Charlie Harari live on our stream to wrap up Tisha B'Av. Charlie Harari's presentation of Just a Word presented by Project Inspire, is going to be uh, appreciated by many people today in many, many different locations around the area, uh, shuls, bungalows, etc., a 50-minute film presentation. Uh, you can go to kiruv.com for information. Tonight at 7.15, Charlie Harari on the radio at 6.20 on the AM dial. He'll be on our stream, jmtheam.org, a live presentation from New York City of what, of how we should utilize the last couple of hours of the fast and highlighting some of the people from Project Inspire and some people who have made amazing positive commitments on this Tisha B'Av day. That is all happening uh, with Charlie Harari later on on our stream and again on the radio at 6.20 on the AM dial in the 7 o'clock hour tonight. In Brooklyn, New York, a reminder that Kinnis begins at 9 a.m. with Rabbi Ephraim Levine. Presentations today at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn included by Shmuel Yaakov Klein, or Baruch Rabinowitz, or Baruch Hilzenrath, or Moshe Tovia Leaf, or by Shmuel Dishon, or by Avram Reisman, or by Jonathan Rietti, or by Official Schachter. It's all at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn at 1200 Ocean Parkway. You can check that out. A reminder that the um, liberation of Buchenwald, a historical overview on the liberation of Buchenwald, as well as video tributes to Yussel Friedensen, or Mayor Birnbaum, and by Herschel Schachter. All takes place today, starting at 2 p.m. at the Agudas Yisrael Zichron Moshe, 1561 50th Street, which is the home of the Kleinman Family Holocaust Education Center. Um, information, kfhec.org, kfhec.org. It's for men and women. There's no admission. That happens today, starting at 2 p.m. And, of course, at 2 o'clock today, a mincha service that I... Uh, very much encourage people to come to, and uh, I hope to be at. Um, there is a there is a shaded overhang over the area because of construction, so that could help in terms of the uh, very hot conditions during this week in New York City. 
But the uh, the shaded overhang hopefully will help. We'll be gathering at the Isaiah Wall, which is uh, right Kotel Yeshayahu, which is uh, on the First Avenue at 43rd Street at 2 p.m. today. Bring your towels and tefillin for Mincha. Guest speaker, Naftali Moses, father of Avraham David, who was among the students murdered at Merkaz Harav five years ago. Rabbi Avi Weiss, of course, will lead the services as usual. And we anticipate a wonderful crowd as usual as well. I try. I would estimate probably uh, half the time I am able to uh, to be there for the Mincha service. I will try again this year to be there. And I hope, if I am there, to see uh, many listeners who come out to support Jewish communities in danger around the world. JM and the AM, a reminder that um, once our Tisha B'Av programming, which again will continue all the way until 9 p.m. tonight, straight from now through 9 p.m. tonight, reaches its conclusion, we will drift back into our three weeks format on the stream at jmtheam.org. Um, we will not officially transition until Yossi Zweig uh, does our live lunch tomorrow, a Z-Report live lunch that will go from an acapella format to our regular music format at 12 noon Eastern Time tomorrow. Uh, however, we will dedicate tomorrow morning, except for conversations which are scheduled on the air, we will dedicate tomorrow morning to our 10th uh, of Av custom, which is stories of Shlomo Kalbach. We'll be doing that tomorrow morning between 6 and 9 a.m., except, of course, uh, for different scheduled conversations that we have on the air. Then on Thursday morning, our visit to uh, Camp Hask, will be the uh, three-hour Thursday morning presentation of JM in the AM. In terms of rounding out this week, an Erev Shabbos Nachamu, I was informed yesterday by Malcolm Holmline that because of his uh, meeting schedule in Tel Aviv this coming Friday, he will not be able to join us for the weekly update this week, uh, but uh, that will return, I believe it's two weeks from this Friday, to our airwaves right here at JM in the AM. So that is the uh, up-to-date schedule. Uh, for the rest of the week, and we'll, of course, tell you plenty more once we drift back into our regular format uh, at some point tomorrow. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world in the web, jmandtheam.org. And that will wrap up our Tisha B'Av service here at JM and the AM. Again, all day long, uh, we will uh, be um, streamed into the OU's presentation of uh, Tisha B'Av 5773. And then, of course, join Charlie Harari tonight in the 7 o'clock hour on our stream at jmtheam.org. We will be streamed into his end of Tisha B'Av presentation that will be happening on the radio and on our stream uh, starting tonight at about 7.15 Eastern Time. An easy and meaningful fast to all. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.